Hello and welcome to Back to Britpop. It's me, Chris. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Tim Arnold. Uh, Tim Arnold is a, a very successful musician and songwriter and producer and formed the band Joe Caster back in 1994. They had some great success with two singles and an album with Sony, but he's been incredibly busy ever since and writing lots of music and getting involved in lots of musical projects. It's a really fascinating chat with Tim and I really appreciate him talking to me. Just before we get on to the interview, just a quick reminder of things that you can do to support me and the podcast. Um, just make sure you follow me on social media and get involved on the chat over there. So just search for Back to Britpop on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And also, if you have time, write a quick review on Apple and give me a five star rating because that will really help in terms of getting the podcast listened to by a a bigger audience and then finally if you want to support me financially you can buy me that virtual coffee on the ko-fi page which is in the show notes that's enough waffle from me until the end obviously so here's tim uh, welcome to the podcast tim arnold how are you i'm very well thank you how are you chris yeah bearing up under the strain of everything going on so yeah uh, whereabouts <laughs> whereabouts are you at the moment i'm in london and um, in leafy muswell hill which is where I've lived for the last five years. Well, Tim, I, I mean, the podcast is me looking back at the '90s, essentially the mm. bands, the bands I was into. Or the, you know, Jocasta was was the band that you formed. Before that, obviously, you, you know, you were obviously keen in music. But how did kind of how was that seed sown with, with regards to music and playing and influences and things? Gosh, it's a really weird um, journey, mine. But I'll, I'll try to do a potted version of it but um so i mean my mum's a singer and uh, and was very much a kind of 60s it girl singer and it was a presenter on ready steady go and uh, worked with the beatles and the stones and all that sort of stuff so there's an argument that would say that it's in my dna to a degree um although i really know that when i was growing up um i, I was I, I wasn't really aware of just how much she'd been a part of that scene mm. And we lived in Spain from when I was, I don't know, nine years old. And um, and I'd started writing instrumental music. I was really into prog uh, when I was like 10, 11 years old. Yeah. I'd started, um, I'm self-taught, you know, I, I wasn't, I'd never gone to music school or anything like that or really had many lessons. So um, I was just experimenting with, with keyboards and making my own tape albums when I was 11 or 12. Um, and then I moved back to England um, at, at probably around the time I realised that my mother was had been part of that amazing scene that I'd fallen in love with, which was everything to do with the 1960s uh, music culture, particularly the London music culture. And, um, and I came back to England and um, got a, 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 a myself enrolled into a Rudolf Steiner school um, only because they're, uh, they they were sort of accepting of vegetarians and I've, I've been a vegetarian <laughs> all my life and um, when my when, when my mother uh, got the sad news from me when I was 13 I was like I'm not living here in the Costa del Sol anymore I need to go back to England you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah. slightly precarious but genuinely upset as well not being sort of where I thought I you know what's going to be and um and she said, well, you better write to the Vegetarian Society. So that's how I ended up at the Rudolf Steiner School. And I don't know if you know about those schools, but they're, they're, they're pretty amazing in terms of arts. I think a lot of musicians and actors um, have um, come and gone through those schools. So um, 
I, I set up Jocasta as a response to my friendship with um, the, the guitarist of the band, uh, Jack Reynolds. When I was 16, we were 16, we'd been playing together in, in class breaks, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was right at the start of the 90s. And it was sort of, uh, we were into the Pixies and Red House Painters, uh, Jane's Addiction, and hadn't quite discovered what was going on in, in London. Um, uh, but but we, we did end up sort of making friends with the whole Satanta crowd uh, and, you know, Divine Comedy and Edwin Collins. And that was, as a 16-year-old kid, that was like my introduction into the London scene. How did you start writing music then? I'd started writing songs in Spain just before I left and coming to England. Uh, I, I, I was writing music and long, epic Mike Oldfield <laughs> style <laughs> 22 minute pieces of music on keyboards and using like uh, old double cassette players, which I'd loop around and keep bouncing. So I'd worked out multi-tracking when I was 13 and, um, uh, uh, but I'd never wanted to sing ever. And I'd never wanted to kind of um, do what my mum does, which is be an entertainer and the sort of focal attention of the audience. Mm. Uh, I just wanted to make music, um, but I had started writing poetry as well. So I, I had a lot of poems. And then then I discovered John Lennon and um, somebody sent me a book of uh, the meanings of all his songs. And I think around that time, I thought I should probably put some of the poetry I've written to music. Mm. You know? and, and that's what I did. Was that whole front man thing then quite difficult for you to sort that role, quite difficult for you to get into? Well, I think role is the operative word. I think yeah. we had a singer, uh, one of our school friends was singing the band at first, but everybody else had said, these don't sound like, the songs aren't sounding like the way you've written them, Tim. I think you need to sing it yourself. So when I started, um, and we were in Hertfordshire and playing gigs in places like Watford and Hemel Hempstead, um, you know, I had a lot of hair and I used to sing my songs very passionately, but behind my hair. And, you know, it, was, it was still when Richard from... Uh, Verve had long hair, so it was kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> we hadn't got to the Britpop mod cut yet. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, 91, 92, or the FOP from Suede, you know, none yeah, of that yeah. started. So it was still kind of cool to look like a slightly hippie-ish mystical character. And that was great because I was really shy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I covered it up with a lot of angst and um what looked seemed like aggression but i mean i was i wasn't aggressive at all really <laughs> and so when did you when you start getting a following then how, how did that come about gigs and things following really did start in in hemel hempstead we had amazing support from friends from school and their friends and that, that there seemed to be an interesting scene going on i think i think mainly with hemel hempstead uh, it was because there was this venue called the pavilion uh, where a lot of bands, it was on the main circuit. So we'd seen the Manic Street Preachers there and, and you know, all the bands that had just been signed were on the front, front page of the enemy or the Melody Maker. So there was this sense of a scene there starting because of being so close to London as well, I suppose. Mm. And, uh, and then I think what happened when I moved to London, the rest of the band moved to London first uh, and then I followed after doing my A-level in art. <laughs> um, and 
and they 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 supported us anyway um in coming to london i think they were, it was really nice um we didn't ever do the coach thing a lot of bands were getting their mates on coaches to come to london and do gigs because in those days of course there was the sort of uh, you must have this many people and then you'll start to get paid for the gig and all yes. that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, um, and I seem to remember writing um, as many kind of, I don't know, as, as, as many mathematical equations about how to fund the gigs as I was writing songs at the time. It was so weird um, looking back on it now, but, yeah. but it was a big part of that time, you know. I, I think before I played all the regular venues like the Bull and Gate and the Falcon and Splash Club and Underworld, I, I was I checked out that these were the places to play, you know. And I think that's which was quite young, I suppose. And as as a as a returning Londoner, I was only seventeen or something. And but I but I did I did work that template. <laughs> it's a lovely path. There was a, when you want when you decided. That that's what you wanted to do, um, uh, you know, either be a songwriter or a singer or or, or in a band or a recording artist. In, in those days, and you made the decision, that's what I'm going to do. Um, there were some great guides, you know. So I think it's harder now. I mean, uh, in that sense, I think it's there's a lot more you've got to work out. I think there's more information, but but less curation, if you know what I mean. I mean, how long did it take for you to get some sort of record label interest? We were completely signed to Sony, but um, but I think they positioned it as if we weren't at first for, because it was cool in those days uh, yeah, to yeah. be a major or whatever. I look at it now like, it, it, yeah, whatever. But it, 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 it took us from the moment we really decided we have to get a deal. Uh, <laughs> it was that thing to everybody we knew, all our mums and, uh, and and dads, those that had them and friends and partners were like, are you signed yet? You know, it was such a massive deal. And and I think for me, pressure, I started to feel something wrong with me because I wasn't signed. Um, and I was pretty tenacious and I, I and I and I just knew that we could get signed. Mm. Um, and I think I think it was mainly because. I'd, with the band, there were a lot of different members of the band of Jocasta until um, it became what was the the lineup that got signed. But I knew with that lineup that I was starting to hear the songs in real life in the way that I'd imagined them when I wrote them. And I thought, this is re- this is really special, you know. Um, and I think a lot of that's got to do with my my musical relationship with Jack. Uh, and and also the rhythm section, who were a little bit older than us and more experienced, and just so so good, you know, Adrian and Andy. And I think really it took us about a year. Uh, we 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 rehearsed like dogs uh, for six months in this terrible rehearsal studio. I say terrible; it wasn't terrible. It was brilliant, but but not posh or anything, you know. Yeah, um, it was. We loved it, and 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 we we really worked so hard uh, without playing a gig ever for six months. I think, and then after that, we went out. We played six gigs and got signed. That must have been yeah. an amazing feeling to have all that hard work and pressure and and responsibility. To, well, not responsibility, but you felt like you 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 had your, your end goal in sight, and, and then to get you know you know it was well, I could it, yeah it was it was amazing at the time and it, it and it's still amazing and I think more amazing now in a way because it was a reward on merit 
you know, mm. um, at which I'm sure all bands since the Beatles um, and the 90s have. And, and But it's slightly different. Uh, there's not a lot of reward for actual merit in the uh, ecosystem of music that we we find ourselves in today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of the opposite a lot of the time. I find the better the material that we make sometimes, the harder it is to find um, proper industrial support for but that's only my experience and uh but yeah it was it was so lovely and and in that way that some people would say that you know it's not doesn't matter if you're signed or doesn't matter if that but it was a really beautiful experience to to be uh in a major label like sony and kind of be taken into a room where you can see all the other bands that they own which is like primal screams over here and oasis is over there and oh bob dylan too you know it was like <laughs> it was a really for i was 19 so i just really did feel like this was this is what i've been working towards and then the record did quite well you had a couple of singles and well the album didn't do well but everything before it did yeah the singles did yeah it was lovely i i still remember us coming back from a tour we well a mini tour we did we played we were playing with octopus and manson in belgium and then we got the whatever ferry back to dover and the guys the passport office or whatever so it's and who are you what are you doing? Uh, and they'd heard our single go on the radio you know those kind of things which i guess doesn't happen anymore because of the internet you know there's no sort of passing coincidence of we've heard your song it's it's not such a big deal is it now but um stuff like that was really magical i think for all of certainly for me i guess like many stories there are many bands from that era that it, it doesn't always go according to plan in terms of like a follow-up second album and then you know releases it had a couple of re-releases didn't you they re-released or repackaged uh, the album with the singles and things um no no they buried the entire thing i really re-released it no sony sony have um vast amnesia where, where, when it comes to jacasta it was a, a weird time and i think i was talking about this with my partner kate the other day because we watched 24-hour party people mm. and uh and watching that uh, i realized that i'd begun my career in music uh, a little bit after the big boom of the early 90s mm. uh, and it was we just we just got in there before the spice girls came along and said guitars are not cool anymore you know yeah. it's, it's a weird it's a weird it was a weird time and uh looking at it now i mean because of this my what i've done as a solo artist it, it has, has been all the things that i would have probably done with jocasta um, but I realised it would not have been possible in that sort of deal. Since Jocasta, since the end, you kind of called it a day back in sort of late end of the 90s and sort of beginning of the, the noughties? Yeah, well, I lost myself completely. I mean, you know, losing the deal to me was uh, a probably a much bigger... Um, thing that for them for the rest of the band in terms of uh, you know they they obviously had their families here and I I think I viewed the whole thing as psychologically as the band and the label were my family and um, very lots of therapy later <laughs> you realize no 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 this was this was a profession this was not meant to uh, you know be the bedrock of of your emotional security and of course i i was i was too young to be honest but it it took me 
I don't know, five or six years to to get through the whole drugs and rock and roll bullshit that you that, you, that so many of us go through. Yeah. Well, so that my generation yeah. uh, to kind of get on with it and go, oh no, no, okay, back back to plan A, make shitloads of albums, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's and that's what I've done ever since, you know. And it's that funny thing is. Um, I find it so charming um, that the fans of Jocasta remember uh, the band and the album, which I'm really proud of. Um, but I, to be honest, I'm not as proud of it as I am of the stuff I've done since, and that have involved some of the members of Jocasta as well. But it, but it, so because it, it wasn't, it didn't really, it didn't really begin my career. It was like some, it's a weird episode that happened, and then I was off, off out of the scene for a long time. And then, then I started really in the early 2000s. How do you go about then sort of getting some sort of manifesto for, for what your, your ideas, getting everything down and, and having a kind of plan of action? Because you've, you've done so much uh, since that time, haven't you? And you've, you've, with regards to sort of publishing and then um, the Save, so- Save Soho uh, mm. campaign you're doing and, you know, working with... I just build worlds, you know. I, I realised quite early on um, that that my, what make I think you've got to do what makes you happy, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, what makes me happy, and I'm just doing it again at the moment, is is writing the songs, putting them together, sequencing them, creating the artwork, and even doing all the ISRC numbers and all the rest of it that you have to do to make sure that if there's any remuneration that you're going to get it. Uh, I love doing that I, so much. And I, I had I'd started doing that with cassettes when I was 12, you know. So it's album making, long form storytelling with music. And in the midst of that, not having funding, not being able to tour, not being able to go abroad. And it really has made me focus on my locality. And, and people say, wow, such a great idea to do. I think they assume that I'm some sort of I don't know, a rich celeb type person that decides, I oh, you know, I'll make a concept album about Soho. The truth was, is that I just made the best thing I could out of where I was, you know. I can walk to the places and interview people about their life stories and I can, and I can learn about the history because I'm living in it. And, mm. uh, and that's how the Soho Hobo album um, happened, which is still, I think that's like my 15th album. But I think that's the one that, that then in the UK uh, made people go, oh, right, yeah, him, <laughs> which yeah, is really yeah. nice. So what's what's happening now then? Are you what are you working on at the moment? I've just well I've ju- I released my proper last uh, album in November and I probably should be working that but I don't really know how to <laughs> at the moment. But um that's that came out in November and I, I which I love and I and I want to do a lot more with and and then I just released a live album which is a, a called Tales from the Tracks which is actually uh, actually talks a lot about all the Britpop years in it. It's a kind of, um, I did about six gigs uh, before and after all the lockdowns last year when we were allowed to. So I did six socially distant gigs and turned them into sort of um, a half life story and half gig. So there are songs from all the different periods of my career uh, and then me talking about the songs and whether or not I was, you know, halfway down a flight of stairs at the Astoria, drunk out of my mind, or in a Buddhist monastery in Thailand, meditating, you know. 
it's, 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 it's fun. It's fun. And because I, I recorded them not really knowing why, other than this is a bit of history. You know, I've never done gigs in the middle of some a pandemic before where I'm measuring uh, spaces between seats for the audience. It's, it's, it's nuts. Uh, so I thought, yeah, it's kind of special. So I recorded them all and, and then put them together. So I just released that last week. I guess you're going to be then sort of putting your mind to to trying to write more songs and, and would you be then thinking about you know reflecting on the current state of affairs and what the pandemic and I, well i did that with when staying alive's the latest craze that um my 20th album the one that that i wrote in the first lockdown um so i kind of did i've kind of done that and i uh, i've at the moment it's a lie to say I'm, I'm not writing i am writing but i've already got the next album ready to to go so i'm 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 sort of constantly in a it's a weird cycle i'm you know as i'm putting a record out there's another one ready to come out after and i'm writing stuff for the one that will come next it's got to that stage now but that's because you know essentially i'm just a I'm unemployed and I don't work with many other people. So, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You suddenly, you know, I, I don't think, you know, Chris Martin wouldn't be able to do that because there's so much expectation, isn't there, when you're a global success. But if you're kind of, you, you've got a, a loyal but um, small fan base and they are scattered across the globe. Um, but I don't have that that issue of sort of I've got, we've got to sell and sing this for another five hundred years. I don't, uh, you know, and I can't couldn't do that either. Which is why I said I would never manage another year with Sony anyway. The whole concept of of keeping playing the same stuff forever, I think, is nuts. The Beatles didn't do it, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's always my my feelings. Like, yeah, six months an album that sounds fair enough. What else are you meant to be doing, you know? Uh, unless it's just all about the industry, and I, I, I'm, I've never been really a part of the industry. I brush shoulders with people in it, but I'm just not in it. Well, Tim, I look forward to seeing whatever you do next, and uh, I really appreciate you talking to me about uh, Jocasta and uh, influences pleasure. and everything you've done. Pleasure, uh, man, and and really great. I think that for those bands from the Britpop years, that you're you know giving um a kind of uh where are they now sort of thing i think that's really nice really lovely because there's some amazing artists from that time yeah. uh, I, I like i'm looking forward to listening to some of your episodes thanks so much tim take care all right chris take care man okay bye thanks again to tim for joining me on the podcast um the guy is incredibly busy so it was really really great to pin him down for a half an hour chat Thanks again for all your support. The listens, the downloads and the sharing is, is really appreciated. The, the, the podcast is doing incredibly well. It's all down to you guys and your support. That's it from me. I'll see you on the next podcast. Mm-hmm.